not my bag of weed. I don't. <laughs> what was that saying? <laughs> not my bag of weed? Yeah. That's a point. <laughs> not mine. Sorry, officer. Sorry, officer. I don't remember. I don't. Having this bag of weed. Uh, mine? Weed? Where are we? Sir. <laughs> Sis. <laughs> it's not my weed, girl. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> Welcome to the Poet Salon, a podcast where we talk to poets over a drink we've prepared especially for them. I'm Gabrielle Bates. I'm Duji Tahat. And I'm Luther So Damn Cute Hughes. Can't with you. Last week, we talked with Rick Barrett about identities, plural, neatness and messiness, art history, all sorts of fascinating things. And this week, we've asked them to bring in a poem by someone else for us to chat about. Rick chose the poem Given to Rust by Vivi Francis. So let's do it. Given to Rust by Vivi Francis. Every time I open my mouth, my teeth reveal more than I mean to. I can't stop tonguing them, my teeth. Almost giddy to know they're still there. My mother lost hers. But I'm embarrassed nonetheless that even they aren't pretty. Still, I did once like my voice, the way it moved through the gap in my teeth, like birdsong in the morning, like the slow swirl of a creek at dusk. Just yesterday, a woman closed her eyes as I read aloud and said she wanted to sleep in the sound of it, my voice. I can still sing some. Early cancer didn't stop the compulsion to sing, but there's gravel now, an undercurrent that also reveals me, time and disaster, a heavy landslide down the mountain. When you stopped speaking to me, what you really wanted was for me to stop speaking to you, Hmm. to stifle the sound of my voice. I know didn't want the quicksilver of it in your ear. What does it mean to silence another? It means I ruminate on the hit of rain against the tin roof of childhood, how I could listen all day until the water rusted its way in. And there I was, putting a pan over here and a pot over there to catch it. Why that poem? Yeah, can you tell us how this poem came into your life? Because it's awesome. <laughs> um, uh, um, it was All right, a, we're done. <laughs> yeah, case closed. Uh, it was a poem a day uh, from the Academy of American Poets in November of 2017. And so, you know, like many of you, I imagine, you subscribe to that poem a day um feature that they have and it was there in my inbox that morning and I opened it up and you know to be honest you know I I I I like a lot of those poems but not many of them stay with me yeah this one did I printed it out I put it up on on the bulletin board over my desk and I've been living with it ever since so 
that's how I, I know about it. What's stuck? Why, why print it out and put it over your desk? What do you want to be reminded of? That's a great question. I think part of it has to do with how plain and intimate the voice is, but the poem is itself actually quite complicated. So it, it drew me in right away in terms of that intimacy. But the more I read it again and again and thought about it again and again, just the more resonant it became. So that kind of dynamic, you know, where it was both immediately appealing or seductive, and yet it rewarded, kept rewarding subsequent readings. What do you all think about yeah, it? Yeah, there's so much we could talk about in this poem. I'm trying to decide what I wanted to say first. One thing that I know stood out to all of us is this one really short line and compared to all of the long lines that occurs right smack dab in the middle of the poem that just says, to sing, but. And and that mm. invites me to think about how the line is working in mm -hmm. this poem at large and why poems are ending the way they are why this one really short one? And I'm not sure I even have an answer for it. It's just something I'm really attending to and curious about mm -hmm. um, outside of the poem's content or in relation to the poem's content, just how the form of the line is, is working. Yeah. I love the juxtaposition because like, one of the longest lines in the poem is like right before that, right? And I, I, I love right. the permissiveness of that, of the break, of the cutting it off soon i love the implication that the line has to be the line right mm -hmm. and that the, the orderliness of it like it doesn't have to resemble what came before it or it doesn't have to align neatly with any of the arguments it's made before it just is that right and i think like ending on the butt is almost like a way to withhold in a way that the line I think is enacting. Mm -hmm. It's highlighting the qualification and it's centering the qualification. It's saying like they're, these things are interdependent, like the singing and the gravel, the, the cancer and the giddiness, like the, these positive and negative forces that are being celebrated and lamented um, to me are really highlighted by making that one line with the qualification in it so highlighted um by really mm -hmm. drawing our attention to that that is placing that preoccupation at the center of the poem for me i mean literally at the center yeah but quite you know literally. i, I want to you know sort of remember also that you know we're all poets here and all of the choices and decisions that we make in terms of craft is about choreographing the modulating intensities in a poem you know, the, thi the, the decisions you make about verbs or nouns or line breaks or how long or short a line is or how much enjambment or how, how, you know, radical an enjambment is or how soft an enjambment is, whether you use, you know, stanzas, uh, multiple stanzas or in this case just one stanza. So all of these choices that Vivi has made is meant to kind of emphasize or de-emphasize but you know to create a kind of a journey that you that you are having not just in terms of the poem's meaning or its story but also as i said earlier about your body you know there's something that your body feels when you have that three word 
line mm-hmm. in relation to all of the other lines, which are very long compared to that, mm-hmm. your body literally is stopped short. Yeah. And so she's choreographing, you know, for you experientially what your body is doing. You know, um, you know, she is ending also on that word, but in that line. And, you know, I, I always talk to my students about the fact that there's a whole kind of spectrum of enjambment that you can employ in a poem. When you're ending a line with a noun or a verb, which are what we call content words, those are natural places of emphasis, right? Mm-hmm. But when you end a line on a function word like but or to, you know, conjunctions, uh, things like that, or articles, you're creating a very different kind of energy there because those are function words that don't usually deserve or get emphasis mm-hmm. or highlighting. So when she's making decisions about ending the word on but or and, she's she's creating something for you that you know makes you want to think about what why Mm -hmm. right your body probably feels it but then your mind has to kind of question why did Mm -hmm. she stop there and why am i feeling this certain way it's all about manipulating the reader choreographing the reader's experience absolutely i'm also really drawn to this sentence structure that she repeats a couple of times where well, I'll just say them. So I can't stop tonguing them, comma, my teeth. She wanted to sleep in the sound of it, comma, my voice. Mm. So this ending the sentence on the clarification um, of like the true heart of that sentence. And I don't think it's any coincidence at all that it's my teeth and my voice that are repeated, that are ended on. And I think that's similar to what you're saying about ending the line. And those do both end the line as well. Um and leading us to what this poem's really about, which is yeah. the teeth and the voice and the well, loss in those. The title is given to rest, right? So there's sort of this implication that like there needs to be an erosion, right? And the, and the finality is like her catching the rain because the roof has rested, right? And so it's funny because I've, I've been thinking, I've been mulling that idea over, but like not entirely sure where to place it. And those sentences are really interesting because like if you take everything except that final like my teeth and my uh voice is like that's the resting right Mm -hmm. and then you finally end up with like the clear hole with which the teeth or the voice can sort of drop through um i know i I agree because i did notice that similar sentence structure and like i wasn't sure what that was about Mm -hmm. i guess i'm really interested here in the relationship between the erosion and the voice Mm -hmm. right like what has to be eroded for the voice to speak clearly. Mm. It's a poem about survival and resilience, Mm -hmm. right? Um, When bad things happen, like, you know, you get cancer or somebody leaves you, how do you you conduct yourself when those traumas occur in your life? Mm. You keep singing with whatever gravelly voice you have left Mm -hmm. or you you know you figure out how not to get too wet (laughs) when you know the rain and the heartache is pouring all around you you know you put out the pans and the buckets and whatever um and so i love i love that about the poem that it is about 
surviving mm-hmm. the kind of the 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 things that happen to a person in a life I've been thinking about um more so now than when I've read the poem um, about how everything is kind of reaching towards something um to me the poem is about this reaching right um rest reaching towards death um the idea of singing reaching towards this kind of you know exhaustion um everything seems to be doing that reaching and i think it is about the resilience right the resilience of uh continuing despite of um and how the resilience is a sort of reaching towards of finality of happiness and joy and i think this poem is doing that even with the line breaks like to sing but mm-hmm. i'm gonna keep going right um even though the but is it's, it's clipped everything is clipped in this poem mm. there's still a, a reach towards getting to the place where we want to get to from the the sentences that gabby mentioned right my teeth my voice right to clarify what i've been talking about those are reaching towards an understanding mm-hmm. um that is really striking to me in this poem um, that is, is enacted in every single way, right? Given to rest, right? Giving, given to this reaches, right? To this reaching, given mm-hmm. to this, this mode of, I must, you know, perceive, I'm, I must persist, right? Um, it's, it's kind of stunning in a way, right? What does it mean to silence, to silence another, right? What does it mean to, to erase another person or right? what does it mean to to forget this kind of reaching oh it means this it means i ruminate on the hit you know of rain right i i, I think about how the rain hits the tin of the roof that sound and then my childhood right to reach back and then towards um it's interesting even the cancer right the cancer is reaching towards the body's dying right the, so the body's reaching towards death but the cancer reaching towards like I want to live in this body, even though I'm killing the body as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it complicates the idea of resilience for every part of it. Um, thinking about disease, the disease of the body is living inside the body and wanting to live, right? The 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 viruses, the virus wants to live regardless, right? And reaching towards the living, but the body's dying because of how the virus wants to live. It's complicated. Um, rest is actually complicated itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, time is complicated in that. And so the idea of, yeah, the idea is it's it's, it's interesting to me mm-hmm. um, how, how she's complicating the idea of what we think to be negative. There's also a moment in there where you kind of realize that it's also about, you know, how do you value yourself when you don't, necessarily like yourself (laughs) you know there there are certain moments in your life when you don't like you know the gap in your teeth or the fact that you've been dumped and yet you don't you know yes you do have to practice resilience and survive but also just to keep going Mm. you know when you don't value yourself in any way Mm -hmm. yeah connecting those things i think like i'm looking at all of the words uh of the hard enjambments and they all sort of have that implication right like reveal right Mm -hmm. (laughs) starting with the first line moved uh you know but undercurrent landslide the the ending of the me is the introduction of the you to 
you know, all of these like have this implication to your point that insists on pushing further, mm-hmm. right? They all insist on the next line and, and, and really force you into what comes next, right? It doesn't allow you to sit at the end of the line and sort of consider that line um, alone. It, it, it almost forces you to think about what comes next. It propels mm-hmm. you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I really love about the Academy of American Poets poem of the day is that they're always accompanied by this little paragraph by the poet explaining, contextualizing, um, putting some other sort of angle on the poem they wrote. And in this one that Vibe included with this poem, she says, in this poem, I hope to convey the consequences of silencing can be dire. And I, I don't want to say that that she failed in that intention, but I think it really just highlights how alive a poem becomes outside of our intentions for it, Mm -hmm. because that is not necessarily how I interpret this poem on my own. There's a sense of, of that survival and the celebration of the voice and the perseverance of valuing the self in the face of not liking the self, all these things we've been talking about. Um, but one thing I'm, I'm not feeling from the poem is, is that direness for some reason. And I wonder if I'm alone in that. I, you know, I never read those things. You just ignore them because of what you're talking about, right? They, they, I mean, if if a poem takes me into a place where I feel, I feel grounded in, I'm going to enjoy that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I'm going to get something like this is total opposite, I'm going to be like, well, what did I miss as a reader? And also is a poem then unsuccessful in its approach and attempt to be what you want it to be. Um, now, if I'm confused about a poem, then that's that. Then that comes a great asset to that, right? I can like, oh, well, what do they think about this, or how do they write this poem? It goes, oh, okay. But otherwise, if I get the poem in the sense where I'm like, oh, I feel good about this, I don't want to then be told, no, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> it's about this thing, and it's like, well, now it's a workshop because I feel like <laughs> now I have to, to then, you know, interrogate the intention versus the perception of the poem, yeah. and so that's why I really. I like that for that, but I also don't like it because of that. It's well, just, yeah. also that, you know, I think that after the poem is out in the world, even its own author is just another reader. Of course. Of it, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's a good, I like that. And I like so that. I think that there's a, a, um, a limited amount of time that the, that the writer or poet can kind of speak for the poem. And that's when they're probably writing the poem. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but beyond that, you know, this this thing lives out in the world, you know, creating all kinds of different chemistries from one reader to the next, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which no poet or creator can control yeah. Yeah. or can only control to a certain extent. Yeah. Gabby, you picked up on like <laughs> or at least like n- noting the dire silencing, because to me, this poem is like so much invested in sound yes right and even from the outset right like the idea of teeth and i like as soon as i saw that i sort of attended to how there's so many t and s sounds Mm. like sounds that require your teeth yeah um and i love that the sound of it in some way to sort of reconcile the thing like there's a way in which the sound of the poem is a reaction to the silencing. Yeah. Right. Mm. And, and not to like read intention into anything. I just, I, I love the willingness to go 
sort of radically opposite of feeling a dire silencing. Absolutely. And I think the key word in her about the poem paragraph is I hope, because I think hope is often an entry point into writing a poem. And then what happens is what happens. Like her, her hope can be to convey the consequences of silencing can be dire. And then the poem becomes a celebration of sound. And um, I think that's just one of the beautiful catalyzing effects of poetry is that we can enter with whatever intention we want. Mm -hmm. And then the poem has its own life and it becomes what it is. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said, Rick, we become the reader of it and we can compare that against our original hope or not. Right. Because she, she, she as the creator of the poem clearly has a kind of a meta narrative for what the poem's purpose is for herself, but also for readers out there. And maybe that might not necessarily coincide with, you know, the narratives that we have in, in regards to its purpose or value. But, you know, I, I, I think I see what she means because the, the dire silencing that she's referring to is in many ways the flip side of all of the positive values that mm -hmm. she is presenting in the poem. Mm -hmm. um, there's always sort of the, you know, if, if a poem is a kind of source of light, what's the shadow that it's, it's carrying with it? Mm. Mm -hmm. And it also sort of sharpens, uh, uh, speaking of shadow, it's, I think it sharpens the last couple lines, right, that are about listening, right, that are about receiving. If, if the opening, if the first, you know, two-thirds, maybe more of the poem is invested in making the sound and the celebration of sort of these things like what does it mean to arrive at a place where you're literally catching it right receiving mm -hmm. um, whatever mm -hmm. it's set up yeah you know we were talking about endings earlier and I think for me w one of the brilliant parts of this poem is the ending mm -hmm. where you have those incredibly concrete images of the pots and the pans catching you know the rain coming into the house obviously those you know that whole scenario is metaphoric of something else but she made a decision when she was crafting the poem to be hyper concrete at the end of the poem. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of parts in this poem where it's abstract or it's thinky yeah. mm -hmm. or it it's, it's telling another. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so she, she, she made a decision as a poet, as a craftsperson to have an ending that is so real so you can imagine how, from my standpoint, how less effective the poem would be if she had it, if she had given it a more kind of maybe rhetorical ending, mm. right? Or a thinky kind of ending that is one that is coming out of the head rather than, you know, the senses. So that to me is part of the brilliance that she made the right decisions in all the places. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how often how poems teach us how to read them and earlier in talking about that sentence construction with the sort of clarification at the end she teaches us to do that and then she ends the poem with the word it and doesn't clarify and she doesn't have to because she has trained us in this poem to do the clarification um, and so we are left with that work to figure out what the it stands mm -hmm. for um, and, and that allows it to resonate so much wider, I think, than if she had said the sound or um, 
or clarified it in that moment. That also seems like a risky move to end on an ambiguous term that way, like yeah. it. I mean, even that sentence, it starts with the word and. Like, and there I was doing this. After you got all that, here I was in this moment, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. That goes along with everything I told you before. It's yeah. very, it's, I don't know if risky is the word, but it's it's. There's it's a lack something. of pretension yeah. that's really delightful. Very conversational. <laughs> it was just very down to earth, like, and there I was. It places you, like, in a really distinct moment, right, that is both, like, open on the front end and open on the, like, what comes next, mm. right? And and I think it, it's right. Like, it really does put the onus on the reader, right? Is mm-hmm. it, it raindrops, mm-hmm. is it <laughs> like, what yeah. came before, like, mm-hmm. this particular moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely ascends to some, it ascends versus, like, you know, yeah, while being very rooted in the particular in the pots and the pans. Right, right, right. I do love that the last word is being it, mm-hmm. that, and the fact that you have to work to figure out what the antecedent for that is, mm-hmm. which is obviously the water. But she could have constructed that sentence so that it doesn't end with that mm-hmm. that weird, mm-hmm. awkward, you know, word. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I love ending with that word because it's conversational. Yeah, you know that comes out of a mouth that sentence, mm-hmm. yes. as opposed to a poetic mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also practicing this this thing that I talk about um, when I'm teaching this 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 term that I use, um, functional distortion, <laughs> where you know we tend to be kind of taught to uh, create clarity. Um, in our poems or in our writing and that clarity is a valuable thing when in fact there are a lot of great poems a lot of great poets who practice you know what i'm calling functional distortion in the sense that there are moments or parts of poems or poems that are intentionally ambiguous or unclear because it generates a certain kind of effect in the poem or in the reader so that's happening in this poem, too, where there are parts where she could have constructed the syntax or the grammar in a way that was more straightforward or clear, maybe. Um, but she's withholding that kind of clarity, you know, in certain parts. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm just thinking again here about craft and how, you know, if clarity is a value, why can't the other kind of the flip side of that also be a value if you are a strong resourceful poet mm-hmm. right where the things that you know we're told not to do in poems like you know or in grammar school like don't start a sentence with and <laughs> <laughs> you know or don't end you know when you took you know poetry 101 don't end your line with but or you know and <laughs> You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So these these kinds of rules that that we inherit, um, and that you know that we as poets who are resourceful have to kind of distress in our poems. Yeah, and I mean returning to part of our earlier conversation, there is a certain messiness that this poem proposes. Right? Mm-hmm. There's like a resisting of neatness mm-hmm. that this poem proposes that that to me speaks to the fundamental ways in which we do push forward, right? Like the messiness of survival uh, is like a really fundamental part of this poem. <laughs> it isn't neat, yeah. right? Push it, propelling forward is like not a neat move. Hmm. Um, it's just a thing that happens. 
Mm-hmm. And I think this poem does a really good job of enacting that. I mean, everything about the poem is not neat. Like the line breaks aren't neat. Mm-hmm. The syntax isn't really neat, right? Mm-hmm. Given to rest. Not really a neat town of time. You know, it's, everything about it is, is, is mm-hmm. you know, leaning towards not being neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes back to, again, the perseverance and that resilience, right? Pushing forward, I think. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know um, this poem by Emily Dickinson that I'm going to look it up because I I think that this poem especially in the title is in conversation hmm. with number 1010 <laughs> by Emily Dickinson crumbling is not an instance act a fundamental pause dilapidations processes are organized decays tis first a cobweb on the soul a cuticle of dust, a borer in the axis, an elemental rust. Ruin is formal, devil's work, consecutive and slow. Fail in an instant, no man did. Slipping is crash's law. But the title of Vivi's poem is already invoking that idea of rust and dilapidation and how, you know, we tend to think of, you know, things sort of like falling apart as instantaneous or quick. When I think Vivi and Dickinson in her poem are are presenting the, the fact that, you know, when things fall apart, they do so really slowly and at the kind of granular level that maybe isn't visible. Right? Um so I I do I don't know if Vivi was in fact in conversation with Dickinson when she wrote the poem, but I, I'm seeing the resonance there. I love that connection. Yeah. Fail in an instant, no one did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even syntactically, it's almost uh, uh, she's subverting the syntax, even in the Dickinson, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and th- there's a neat parallel there. Yeah, I, and I think that's sort of like my fascination with the erosion in the poem, because like to your to the point of bringing these two in conversation, it is sort of everything underneath, right, that requires the change to happen, right, right, and, and I think of it even in like political terms, right, like for marriage equality to pass in Washington State, Will and Grace had to be on air, <laughs> you know, for decades beforehand, and so there's sort of this like l- building of uh, movements for instantaneous change, what seems like instantaneous change to happen. Mm -hmm. And so even pointing to the idea or troubling the idea of an instantaneous change is one that is rooted in time, like Mm -hmm. a duration, long duration. Um, Right. It's interesting. I mean, all of the parts in here too, like even the mother losing her teeth, what are the social circumstances that lead to you know, people not having the kind of health or health care that, you know, that allows them to keep their teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's cancer invoked in the poem as well, which is a kind of, you know, it's one of those things that Emily, Emily Dickinson talks about, that kind of dilapidation that begins invisibly. Um, and then even the the house with the rusty roof um, with water pouring in, that is a very Dickinsonian image to me. 
the line of Dickinson's poem, uh, Ruin is Formal. Yes. So fantastic. I'm thinking about in uh, well this poem as well, um how how things are formal. So like dying is kind of formal, right? Like it's it's we're all gonna die one day. It's the thing that happens to us, right? And cancer, even though it's horrible the way it does the way it attacks the body is kind of a formal kind of attacking right it's, it there doesn't really change yeah right exactly and there's so a decorum it's there's interesting a language, it's, a, it's a process it's a process and everything yeah. in this poem is a process right the gap in the teeth is a process of dna right like you just don't like i want to grab my tooth i'm gonna get it one day it's like <laughs> no your dna told you mm. to have a gap in your teeth right um, the way the rain falls, it's, it's formal. The way this, the, the sound it makes when it rains on a tin roof, it's formal. And everything in this poem is speaking to that formality of things happening to you, um, whether it be cancer, you know, whether it be the sound the rain makes when it's a tin roof, whether it be singing, which is also kind of a formal formality, right? Like the way the voice does things, right? So everything is formal to this poem. Even the line breaks, it seem it seems like line breaks seem very just like what the fuck is going on, but <laughs> it's, it's still all very formal. Um, the idea of formality is interesting to me at this point, right? Mm -hmm. um, what does that mean? What is what is what does rust mean? Is that is rust formal mm -hmm. at that point? Well, even the relationship between the you and the I here, when there's clearly a romantic kind of uh, you know erosion, <laughs> um, you know, think about the fact that when you've had moments of rupture in your relationship whether it's a final one or just a kind of a medium one, mm -hmm. there are all kinds of little things that have led up to that, mm -hmm. yes. whether visible or invisible, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So even that is invoked in Vivi's poem. So, okay, so I am now fully convinced that Vivi is in fact <laughs> <laughs> talking to Emily Dickinson here, um, which I think is even more brilliant because this is a completely kind of modern rendition of, you know, this 19th century vision. Mm. I love the fact that she answers her own question in the poem. Mm, she doesn't let it and just I, be yeah, purely I feel rhetorical. Like the most poetic moves is like you, a you ask a question and yeah. then move on past that. Yeah, what does it mean? And then she could have skipped. Like, well, it like, means I was this. putting a pant. She's right. like, it's it like, means. Oh. Yeah, it's huh. a bold move. I like that. I want that. <laughs> <laughs> I want that a lot. Do it. <laughs> Thank you to Rick for rolling through the Poet Salon. Thank you to Open Books, a poem emporium, the greatest poetry-only bookstore in the world. Thank you to Aged Cheeses and Olives. And just like the Mediterranean terroir writ large. Oh. What? Those are big words. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button and rate us five stars. Five. Which helps other folks looking for poetry podcasts find us. Lastly, follow us on Twitter at Poet Salon Pod. Send us your questions, thoughts, what you're mad about, your credit card number to thepoetsalonpod at gmail.com. Peace. Bye. Miss you already. as a church mouse. I don't want to play house. I was born to run this. Building up my fortress. Stacking up the mattress. You want to weaponize this? Gonna show you these hands. Gonna take on these streets. Gonna show you who's man's. Cause my crew mob steady. Feddy and spaghetti. Feddy and spaghetti. Feddy in the...